0: Uh, Well, a selection here from uh, the book of Proverbs. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. <clears throat> Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses.
1: This morning then we rejoin the book of Proverbs. If you hear back in January, February, we spent a couple of months looking at chapters 1 to 9, the uh, poems which introduce and frame the book. But uh, this morning we start thinking of the book topically, because we're into chapters 10 to 22, perhaps the more famous part of the book, the pithy one-liners, the aphorisms, 375, one-sentence nuggets of wisdom. And surprisingly, about 30% of that material, the one-sentence Proverbs, chapters 10 to 22, deals with wealth and poverty. That's a lot. Which makes a couple of things obvious. One, obviously, we need to hear that amount. We, If 30% of the material is about money, then we obviously need to hear a lot about money. Um possibly relate it if we need to hear it so much there's going to be a reluctance to hear it and let's be honest none of us ever come into church pick up the uh, the order of service and think oh brilliant a sermon on money just my favorite thing to be told that I mustn't love money probably be told I should give a bit away uh, that sort of thing none of us love that but there it is of the material is on money, we need to hear it. Now as we begin, um, uh, I always felt slightly nervous with working through Proverbs in this way. Uh, Not all the material is gathered in one chapter, as you'd have gathered from the reading. And there are dangers in that. You have to trust me more than working through a passage of the Bible when you can see it all in front of you. You have to trust that I'm summarising accurately the teaching of Proverbs on the subject of money. If you don't think I am, golly, please come and tell me afterwards. But there are dangers there, and it's also very easy to pick one or two verses and make them say what you want. For example, you could easily go to a verse such as chapter 13, verse 2, misfortune pursues the sinner, prosperity is the reward of the righteous, and construct a prosperity theology. If I do what is good... God will give me money. Prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Ta-da! Very straightforward. If I'm a good boy, God will give me money. And yet, while some might drift in that sort of direction of a prosperity theology, you could equally go for an austerity theology. Much more popular at the moment for George Osborne and co. But for example, chapter 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Ah, yes, much better to be poor than be wealthy. But what we need is to summarise all, gather all the material and summarise it all. So we've got to be wary with a simplistic reading. And as we've said along, you need to have two pegs very firmly in place. One, the Lord is sovereign. Two, there will be a day of justice when Jesus returns and judges how we've lived on this planet. And without those two, the Lord is sovereign and there'll be a day of justice, it's going to be almost impossible to live a life of wisdom in regard to money. So let me just give one example of that at the beginning. Of it. Uh, chapter 10, and verses 2 and 3. Let me read them again. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value. Righteousness delivers from death. Okay. Verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, what do you do with chapter ten, verse three, if you're a Christian starving in Zimbabwe? I read this recently. It was an interview that the finance minister gave, uh, finance minister of Zimbabwe, gave to the Cape Times of South Africa. It was put to him that many people are starving in Zimbabwe. His response: We do not have a problem with starving. We call it fasting. Fasting is actually good for you. The people will be encouraged to fast, thereby strengthening themselves against the onslaught of colonial imperialism. Those of us in government all have to eat, but only because persons in our important positions need to be well fed. That's just wicked, isn't it? And then how do you read, if you're a Christian and you hear that, and you hear that in the news, how do you read chapter 10, verse 3? The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. What do you do with that? It just seems to mock you, doesn't it, chapter 10, verse 3? That's what you need, the verse beforehand. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value. Only righteousness delivers from death. And And verse 2 is the sort of headline when you, if you read chapter 10 for yourself. It's the headline over the whole chapter. You can sit there in Zimbabwe, hear the wicked comments of the finance minister, and know that God says, look, it's like this, until the final day of justice, the righteous may suffer hunger. They may do that until the final day of justice. But on that day, On that day, their righteousness, their trust in Jesus Christ will be rewarded. Beyond any doubt. See, when we come to look at this issue of money in the book of Proverbs, you must have the truth that the Lord is sovereign and that there's a day of justice when wickedness will be overturned. And you can't live wisely in regard to money unless you believe those two things, says Proverbs. Okay, with that in place, uh, three things. Three things, and they um, they get short as they go on, so don't panic. Um, money can be worshipped as a god. There's a warning. Money can be used for God. There's an instruction. And money comes from the generous God. There's an encouragement. Okay, let's work through them. Uh, first, then money can be worshipped as a god. Three little things to uh, to break that down a little further. Uh, first, don't pursue money for prestige. For example, chapter 12, verse 9. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. Or 13.7. One person pretends to be rich, has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. In English idiom, we call that proverb keeping up with the Joneses. You pretend. You strive to compete. You don't want to th- your neighbors to think you're slightly less affluent. So you, you push a little bit harder. You stretch the credit card, all sorts of things. If I just had a little bit more money, then I could buy more holidays, sofas, automobiles. I could keep up with them just a little bit more if I had. But that is trying to run up the down escalator on the tube. You just keep going and going and going. You never make it. Never make it. It's an ever-moving stairway. I read um, uh, in uh, February each year, Forbes magazine, the US magazine, produces its uh, list of the world's wealthiest. I always find that quite interesting, quite a good read. And um, uh, all number of interesting stats and lists in there. The, the guy who really made me smile, some would have heard me say this, but uh, the Saudi investor, Prince Al-Walid bin Talal. Now, according to Forbes magazine, he is worth $20 billion, which is more than some countries, of course. That's a lot of money. Now, when this list was produced, he was outraged and said, I will never speak to a reporter. None of my office staff will ever speak to Forbes magazine again. This is an outrageous slur against my name. Why? He insists he's worth $29 billion. Question, why would you care? You're not going to run out in a hurry. It's not as if the next bill is going to kill you when it comes to the mat. Why? Ah, if he was worth 29 billion, he gets him in the top 10. And he really wanted to be in the top 10 richest people in the world. Now, not everyone is quite so silly, of course. But there you have a man who has an enormous amount of money. It's not enough. It's not enough. He pursues more or creates more, inflates his worth, just for prestige, just to keep up with others. How ridiculous! Not quite enough, he says. That's what he'll think. Don't pursue for prestige. Now we don't do that, of course. We don't. There's not the mega rich. I'm not sure there are any billionaires in the room. If you are, come and see me afterwards. But the um, uh, any global survey will tell you, twenty-five thousand pounds, or between twenty-five and thirty thousand pounds. Why don't you have that as an income a year? anything more you have than that doesn't make an enormous difference. Or a ridiculous, ridiculous... The the logic being, once you're housed and clothed and fed, the value-added happiness compared to the money is not that great. Happiness for the first 25,000, after that it tails off a little bit. Of course it makes a difference. It's nicer, in many ways, to be very, very wealthy. But look, don't pursue it for prestige. Second little thing of this uh, being worshipping money, don't pursue it for contentment. So chapter 13, verse 8, a man's riches may ransom his life, a poor man hears no threats. That's just wisdom, isn't it? Some, when you're wealthy, can bring anxieties as well as relieve them. So 13, only the rich have their children kidnapped. Generally and ransomed for money—that's the point of chapter thirteen, verse eight. If you're impoverished, no one steals your children and says, "Give me your child back for two pence, please." No one, no one does that. It's only the rich that uh, have this sort of problem. So I read recently, uh, the Beckhams when they go out in Paris at the moment, uh, he uh, with uh, Paris Saint-Germain are given an escort of twenty policemen and tw- tw- excuse me, twelve clothes officers. So 32 police. You've got to think the police, the Parisian police, love having Beckham there. 32 of their officers just using it. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But so much money. Does it bring contempt? Does it bring freedom from worry? No. It just can create more worries. For myself, when I go to Paris, I don't need a police escort. I don't have that stress. My life is worry-free in that regard. That's all 1380 is saying. Or in the sort of more it's a realistic level for, for you and for me. Our houses, our flats at home, we have carpet and it's fine, it's functional, it doesn't really matter if anything goes wrong. But then we get some new carpet. A nice, expensive carpet. And all of a sudden, we panic, we're anxious. The children come, eat, 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 the children come into the room and they're eating crisps. Don't eat crisps in the lounge! Not now, we've got a new carpet. Don't put a glass down on that table, do you know how much it costs? And at some point you think, weren't well, we happier with the old stuff? We've invested in all these new, nice new things, and now we're stressed that something's going to ruin them. does see, it doesn't, having money can create new anxieties, says the writer. Now, I've only just put a couple down there, but um, there are many, many better than proverbs. So uh, chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, good examples. 15, 17, I guess is an obvious one. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Now, I dislike a meal of vegetables as much as the next man. We have some from South Africa here, even, even yeah, know, you know well what I'm talking about. But um, it's an obvious point, isn't it? You have a wonderful meal in front of you, but everyone hates one another. Well, that's terrible. Yeah, that's obvious. 1516, a bit more subtle, I guess. Better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Now that's fairly central to the whole of what the book teaches. It is better to know the Lord and be poor than be wealthy and anxious. Dear Prince Al-Walid bin Talal is angry despite his money. And there is a limit to what money can achieve. So as one writer put it, money can build a house but not a home. It can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. Money can give a woman fur and jewellery, but not the love she really wants. Wisdom. Wisdom gives both material well-being and spiritual life. We know that, don't we? Money is very useful. But there are many things that are better than and more important than it. I enjoy reading uh, a few years ago. Now, the, uh, the Australian writer Tony Payne did a little thought experiment uh, one day and said, "Imagine, imagine, imagine. Rupert Murdoch is genuinely converted and becomes a Christian, and decides that every one of his broadcasting networks is only going to put out genuine Christian content. So now, on Sky, there is a radical reshifting of the uh, the schedules." So you only get useful or truthful programs. So some things get axed. Temptation Island, sort of Big Brother, those things get instantly axed. Some things just get retitled to be clearer. So the news becomes news, biased opinion, and some mildly entertaining trivia. And that's what they call it, just so it's clear precisely what it is. But the one I really enjoyed was um, the sort of lifestyle shows. So grand designs, no longer called that, but affordable designs. Changing rooms... Why don't you leave your rooms alone? And uh, he said, "Imagine what happens." The uh, the the changing rooms or leave your rooms alone team comes to visit the Wilsons, and uh, the Wilsons say, "Well, we've got one or two ideas. What would you suggest we do with our home?" And the team looks around and say, "Well, this house has plenty of potential. Yes, there are all sorts of things you could do to build extensions on it, and you know, red velvet on the walls and whatever garish garish things you might want to do. However, having assessed this house, we've decided it's warm." It's dry, it's comfortable. So we're encouraging the Wilson family to leave it just as it is and save themselves all amounts of stress, of building work, and the financial burden of doing it. And the program's over in three minutes. It probably wouldn't have a great viewing figures, let's be honest. It's just a little thought experiment. But you see what his point is. So much of the stuff we watch and read is saying, well, you just need a bit more. You just need a new room, a new carpet, a new car. On average, I'm sure, we don't, I'm sure we bring this to average down, but on average, a UK, the average TV viewer in the UK watches 47 adverts a day. Golly. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And not all, of course, but many, what they're doing is just chiseling away at contentment and saying, you've got to have this new thing. You've got to have this smell. You've got to have this colour in your life, and just chiselling away, saying you need more, you need more. That's the obvious point. So don't pursue for prestige, money. Don't pursue it for contentment. It doesn't do that. And lastly, little thing, don't pursue for safety. Chapter eighteen, verse ten and eleven. Eighteen, verse ten. This is how it's meant to work. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That's what's meant to happen. 18, 11 is what often happens. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scourge. You see what he's saying there? The Lord is meant to be a place of safety, a fortified tower. But some people find safety, security in their wealth. They imagine it protects them. No one can invade them. Now, of course, that is partially true in that money can insulate you against a lot. There is real wisdom in having insurance in case your house bones down, in case your car breaks down, in case your health breaks down. Insurance can insulate you, so these eventualities are much less severe than they could be. Money helps, of course it does, can't be naive on that, but can't insulate you against bereavement of those you love, or family discord, or sickness, or your own death. Can't stop them. Of course, it can't. In the uh, the Forbes magazine, I quite enjoyed. It was my favourite little list. Was uh, wealthiest people in history. So they sort of took people, you know, from crazy, you know, six hundred years ago, and sort of inflated up what they were worth, and uh, produced a, a list of the top one hundred wealthiest people in history. It was quite amusing. I thought. Um, uh, John Rockefeller uh, was number one, Andrew Carnegie number two. The highest Brit was Queen Elizabeth I. I don't understand that. Um, I think that's probably nonsense, isn't it? Anyway, come and argue with me afterwards. But um, uh, the striking thing about it, to my mind, was at number 31 was the first living person in the wealthiest people in the world ever. Number 31, Carlos Slim, worth about $72 billion dollars. Although he doesn't argue over that, anyway. But it that sort of money. So he was at number 31. The obvious thing, apart from their wealth, what have the top 30 got in common? They're dead. They're dead. Yeah, your, may, your name may be down on a list somewhere as having been very wealthy. You may have a bronze plaque on a hospital wall or on, a, on the wall of a zoo because you've given money. But you're dead. I mean, it's fairly blunt, isn't it? Chapter 11, verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. Righteousness delivers from death. When, as the Bible insists, all of us stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, no good at saying, well, I earned quite a bit of money. Would you like a check now to contribute to your work? A bit late. One man on the list, uh, the Forbes list, I read a little bit about him before. He's in the 50s, number 52, I think he came in at. It was uh, J.P. Morgan, who founded the investment bank, John... Pierpoint Morgan. He was a very wealthy man Um, in the 19th century, uh, could single-handedly rescue the U.S. economy and stabilize it with his buying power. He was a philanthropist, gave away millions, billions in today's money. If I have it right, I mean, half the Met Museum in New York is of his personal collection or a significant chunk of it. But he was a Christian. So uh, here is his will and the first sentence of his will. I commit my soul into the hands of my saviour in full confidence that having received it and washed it by his most precious blood, he will present it faultless before the throne of my heavenly father. Because at that point the kid's saying, okay, how much do we get? (laughs) I mean, you you would, wouldn't you? If you're in the room and the will is being read out, you're kind of thinking, what do I get? What do I get? Goes on. To my children, I entreat them to maintain and defend at all hazard, at any cost of personal sacrifice, even their lives, the blessed doctrine of complete atonement for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, once offered, and that alone. So, before we talk about money, can we just get what's very important? I made a lot of money. Who cares? Kids? I don't know what age they were. My children? Trust in Jesus Christ? Defend in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because do you know what? On the day of wrath is the only thing that matters. And people need to know that. Money, very useful in this life. I've done quite a lot of good with it, with the money I've given away. Doesn't save anyone. Quite blunt. So do you see what the, the, the book of Proverbs is saying? Money, very useful thing. It can, just here's the warning, it can be worshipped as a god. People think it'll give them prestige, contentment, safety. It will not. It will not. Don't do that. Let's pick up pace with the other two then. Uh, Money can be worshipped as a god. Second thing, money can be used for God, which is a positive thing. Money can be used for God. Two little things. Um, The first is obvious, and yet actually the book of Proverbs says more about this than anything else in regard to money. Work hard. That's the most common thing it actually says about money. Work hard. So uh, chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Lazy hands make a man poor. Diligent hands bring wealth. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? Or chapter 10, verse 5, He who gathers crops in summer is wise son. He who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. That's not particularly brilliant as insights, are they? Uh, crops should be harvested in the summer. Good. Um, but the point here is, God has made a material world, and there is nothing wrong with enjoying it. And so when it comes to money, creating a product or taking a product, adding value to it, selling it on, those are very good things. That is making good use of God's world. Those are noble tasks. So enjoy them. Enjoy the work. Enjoy what you do with money in that sense. Work hard and produce money. It's good. I mean, chapter 13, verse 11, that's an interesting little observation. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Be patient, he's saying. Be wary of get rich quick schemes. Have a little sense of delayed gratification. Slowly, slowly, my father used to say to my great annoyance, you take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. I always used to say, because well, there aren't any pounds, I've only got pennies, but I kind of knew what he was saying. Just look after the soil. It gradually accumulates. People don't like that anymore. Uh, I read one insurance industry report from uh, 2012. Apparently there are 2,670 bogus claims a week. Just short of 3,000 bogus insurance claims a week. About a billion pounds worth of bogus claims a year. That's up 7% on 2011. Because people want to get money quick. It's quite common. Do you want to know some of the funny ones? I quite enjoyed these. Um, a seagull stole my watch, really. Uh, the flat screen TV that I just bought smashed glass all over the floor. Response, dear madam, it had no glass. We've looked online. <laughs> uh, my favorite, my car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. Think about it. My car was, anyway, on they go. Rather, chapter 13 and 11 says, patience, diligence, prudence. It's not anti-entrepreneurial at all. It's just saying just keep working hard. Okay, my father taught me lots of this. Uh, I remember vividly, I don't know how old I was, 11 or something. There was no pocket money in our household. You had to earn everything. He said, do you, do you want to paint that fence, creosote that fence in the garden, both sides? And uh, I'll give you six pounds if you creosote the fence. Great. You know, so a few hours of cre- Two coats, fine. If two hours of creosoting uh, uh, the fence in the garden. I did. Yeah, you've done a good job. Well done, son. Here's five pounds. Good, Dad, you said six. Yes. But I've taken a pound for materials. My brush, my creosote. That's mean. Actually, at the time, of course, I was devastated and thought he was the worst father in the world ever. And now I look back and think, that's quite wise. You just learn to work. Slowly, slowly, you accumulate. That's what the writer's saying. Do work hard. That's a good thing. But then do give generously. That would be the second most common thing the book of Proverbs says about money. Give generously. There's a clear expectation that those who have plenty should give plenty, recognizing that the money they've got is from the Lord. If you're a Christian, you can you can waggle it one of two ways. You can say, How much of my money shall I give to the Lord? And for the sake of those who are poor, how much of my money should I give? Or you can say, How much of the Lord's money do I need to keep for myself? Slightly different ways of thinking about things. But the picture is we're only stewards Only stewards of the wealth God has given. So there's strong things to say. Chapter 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Wow. Every human being is made in the image of God, says the the Bible and the Proverbs is picking up on that. So to be uncaring towards another human being, you're saying to God, I have nothing but contempt for you and your work. It's very strong. Chapter 19, verse 17, that's a striking idea. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he'll reward him for what he's done. There's a sense, the picture there is that the Lord takes on the loans of the poor. He stands with them. The Lord is is right to put it this way, he sides with the marginalized. He is the father to the fatherless, the widow and the alien. That's how he describes himself. God has made us stewards of his wealth in order that we might be generous with it. Uh, John Wesley is well known for being incredibly frugal with his money, but I reread some of his stuff on money uh, the other week. I thought this is, he put this very well, this quote from John Wesley. Wealth is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends in the hands of his children, It is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, clothing for the naked. It gives the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. By it we may supply the place of a husband to the widow, and of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may, money that is, it may be as eyes to the blind, as feet to the lame, yea, it can lift from the gates of death. See, what he's saying, money can do extraordinarily good things if you use it wisely. That's nothing, that's not talking about, and the Bible here is not talking about taxation policy and distribution, And it's not talking about any of that. It's talking about relational, how you care for those you know, people you meet primarily. But the observation would be that you can do great good, so do give generously. Says the Book of Proverbs. There's a sort of instruction. So there's a warning. There's an instruction. Last thing, uh, here's the encouragement. Money comes from the generous God. Chapter three, verse nine and ten. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Or well, chapter eleven, verse twenty-four. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Sorry, that one's out of sync. It's the penultimate one, 1124. But both of those, essentially what's being said is, you can't outgive God. He is an inexhaustible source of wealth and riches. Now we need to remember the reality we said at the beginning. There's no guarantee that the righteous are wealthy, but The Lord is generous to those who are generous to others. Not necessarily in this life. We need to be very clear on that. If you want a reward, do expect one in glory. But he knows, he sees. This picture of 1124, it's a nice picture, I think. Um, uh, One man gives freely. It literally scatters freely. Now, not so good in the age of um, uh, industrialization, but in old times, of course, if you're sowing seed, you just... Chuck it. You just, you know, you just chuck it out as, as liberally. You don't sort of very carefully, punctiliously put seeds in a in, in a row like that. You just chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. And he's saying, he who uh, is generous, who scatters freely, that's the one that the Lord will reward. Striking, isn't it? One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. It's an easy question to ask. Okay, I don't like poverty. How much am I meant to give in order to avoid poverty? How much? Give me a number. The Bible never does that. Particularly when you get to the New Testament, just give generously. Give sacrificially to those in need. The Lord has an inexhaustible bank account There can never be a run on the bank of God. There's just too much there. It never runs out. Uh, When I was younger, the wealthiest people I knew were Joel and Carol Perkins. They were friends of my mother and father. uh, They went dancing together. But they had a a big house on the expensive road uh, in the town where we lived. It was massive, massive. And um, the the reason I knew that Joel and Carol were very wealthy as a seven-year-old was that in their kitchen they had a fridge and a freezer and a fridge just full of fizzy drinks and nothing else. And to me as a sort of seven- year -year eight-year-old who was only allowed to have a fizzy drink at the weekend, that meant you were unbelievably wealthy. A fridge full of nothing else but cans of Pepsi. Amazing. And uh, when I went to their house, they'd say, Help yourself. <gasps> wow. I was only allowed fizzy drinks at the weekend. Help yourself. And so I did. I did. <laughs> now of course, there is a limit. So you have a drink, and you have another drink, and you have another drink, and there comes a point where you just turn into one big hiccup after you have all these things. But to my mind, they were so wealthy, they had an inexhaustible supply. There was no way I was going to drain that fridge of about a hundred tins of Pepsi or whatever was in there. No way. Couldn't even get close. What's being said here is the Lord has an inexhaustible supply. You can't outgive him. Of course, you'll only be generous if you know that he's sovereign. And you know that he will reward on the day of justice or penalize those who are wicked or mean. But he is very generous. You cannot outgive him. Or as Paul puts it wonderfully succinctly in uh, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 8, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. But one says he's the model. He gave himself. He scattered generously for the sake of others, for the sake of people like you and me, so we can trust in him. And he is the way we can stand righteous before the Lord on that final day. So look, J.P. Morgan, he's a man who got that. I am absolutely loaded, he could say. But do you know what? The most important thing is that you trust in the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's the most important thing. That'll give you contentment, it'll give you security. And once you've done that, and once you trust in God as a generous provider for you, be generous. Don't treat money as a little God. Trust the true and living God and be generous with what you have. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know well that uh, money is so very appealing to us because we can't be naive. We can do so much more in this life if we have money, for good or for our own selfish gain. Father, we can fool ourselves and think we're generous when we perhaps just pass on to our children and nothing else. And And that's a good thing. Of course, that's a wonderful, kind and good thing. But Father, would we be generous in the way that you describe it? Helping those who are in need, those that we know. And Father, we recognize that we'll not do this unless we know that you're a God who is sovereign over this world, who sees what we do, and trust that one day we will be rewarded for how we use the resources you've given us. Would we trust in Jesus Christ for our own salvation and then follow his pattern afterwards? of being generous with what we have. We ask in his name.